0: Gen Z is Generation Crypto. These are people who are raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, identity, and how they look at privacy, and most importantly, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus primarily on Web2 brands and Web3 brands and how they're all building in this space. And so we're super excited to be here. I'm Sam Yuen from Coindesk, and as always, Avery Ekanini is joining me.
2: Hi, everyone. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I'm dialing in from Singapore. So kind of excited to be on the other side of the world. I used to live here and I haven't been back in a while. So it's nice to be home in the the little red dot for a few days.
0: How long did you live in Singapore?
2: I lived in Singapore for a couple of years. I actually launched VaynerMedia in APAC. So We started in Singapore and then expanded into Japan and Australia and Thailand. But Singapore was always our hub. So actually back here for some meetings this week and we're hosting a little Web3 mixer. At the Vayner Singapore offices, so it'll be a uh, nice to gather both some old clients and friends and partners, and a lot of Web three and crypto builders, of which there are very many in Singapore. It's a, definitely a little bit of a hub for crypto, so I'm excited.
0: Yeah, maybe next week we can do a little bit of a uh, kind of what you're seeing in that side of the world as it relates to Web three and NFT and innovations. Let's jump to some quick stories. First of all, it was just announced, and I don't really know much about it. So, from what I'm hearing. The Doodles project is doing something with Flow. Can you tell us what's going on there?
2: Yeah. So Doodles have officially announced Doodles 2 will be on the Flow blockchain. Several of the founders actually spent many of their early years of their career at Dapper Labs. So Jordan and Evan, I don't know if they met there, but they definitely worked together there and they've you know, been big believers on what the Flow ecosystem is building. And on the Vayner side, we've had the good fortune to partner with Doodles before and I know this has been in the works for quite some time. They've got some really cool stuff planned. I think it's a bit of a, you know, unexpected move to the sort of ETH maxi community who's looking for them to do something on Ethereum. Um, they've done a couple of different drops in Doodles, they've done the boxes, they've done different sort of announcements. And I think people are very eagerly anticipating like where will Doodles 2 live. So it's gonna be on flow. And I think it'll be the moment that maybe Dapper needs. Dapper was really hot with what was happening with Topshot, and then they subsequently got a bunch of other IPs on board. They haven't had like a great announcement in a while, so I'm really excited for this as a you know way to reignite some love and fire under Dapper because I do believe what they're designing is really user friendly, and I think that matters for Web3 brands who are looking to onboard this next generation of consumers and you know more traditional brands who want to do something on the blockchain but they don't want it to be you know full of friction for their users.
0: For anyone who doesn't know, the Flow blockchain is really focused on mass adoption. They were behind TopShot, as Avery said. They have deals with the NFL, La Liga they just announced recently. And now with Doodles, they do have some very cool projects that are built on top of it. And it is meant to, I think, be an easier onboarding. You know, you can use your credit card to buy a low-priced object and that gets you in. And then suddenly you're kind of playing in the chain without even knowing it. So there's something really great about that.
2: And you can also sign in with your Google account. Like it's much more of a web 2.5 experience, which I think is easier for people. I mean, that's how they got hundreds of thousands of people to get an uh, NBA top shot. And I think if the objective is to have mass engagement, like flow can make a lot of sense, but we haven't seen as much activity um, kind of building on flow in the last few months. So I'm really excited about this. I'm super bullish on doodles and bullish on their vision to sort of bring this joy to the world. The artist behind the project, um, Scott, known as Bert Toast, has this really iconic style. And yeah, I think it's, it's a great day in the world of Web3. We're also coming off of a very polarizing couple of days for German auto manufacturer Volkswagen. The Porsche NFT drop happened a few days ago. Sam, I would love to know your thoughts as you know an experienced brand builder, marketer, and Web3 enthusiast.
0: My thoughts have been volatile. This has been an emotional ride for me. One, I grew up loving the 911. It was my favorite car as a kid. And so it's always been that thing where I'm like, this car is everything that I want German design to be. They announced this project. It was already kind of catching some heat, not in a positive way because it is a Porsche 911. They were doing 7,500 mints at 0.911 ETH, which in US dollars right now, that's about $1,350, $1,400. It's a very expensive mint. They are a luxury brand. So it makes sense. But they went very, very high on the amount of mints they were doing 7,500 people all spending that much money. It felt a little misplaced in terms of the quantity. And then what happened was they'd only sold less than a thousand in the first 24 hours when they expected that most of the quantity would go then. And so that's when the community just started tearing into it on Twitter. So Avery, why don't you tell us your opinion of what happened and then also let us know what happened next.
2: So the Porsche team actually, I think has done a lot of things right in terms of laying the foundations for the way that they're approaching Web3. They hired some Web3 native consultants, disclaimer, not Vayner3, but they hired a group of consultants who are well-known in the space. They did an activation at Art Basel in conjunction with NFT Now. They gave away these little Porsche 911s at like VIP dinners and stuff. I don't know, I had this like bag of 911s by the end of the week. So they were clearly taking the time to get to know leaders in the community, speaking at events, connecting with different projects, and really trying to learn more. The sort of leader of the project, the Volkswagen group posts on LinkedIn all the time, what he's learning, what he's reading. He reads things like, you know, our trends report and a lot of what's out there in the industry. So he'd clearly really done his homework in the space. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that the individual person was, you know, putting out that effort to learn, to connect, to absorb what's happening in the communities. I think that the mint price was a miss. It was really high and it was very clearly marketed to Web3 natives. This wasn't something that was marketed on Porsche's main handles. They created a separate handle. It was really all about maintaining this community. And I know that was like a strategic brand decision to make sure they're targeting this Web3 natives, Ethereum drop, you know, kind of complicated allow list mechanics, all the things that, you know, appeal to this sort of Web3 native consumer. So I don't think the mint price was like it was out of touch, but it wasn't ridiculous given that they are a luxury automotive company. And we've seen some NFT programs with really high mint prices do really, really well if they're a luxury brand. I think though, it's not about competing on price. It's about competing on value. And the value that you know, the community found for this was not equal to 0.911 ETH. And the crypto Twitter community felt very empowered to share that. So as you mentioned, like they hadn't minted out at that many. They're saying like 15% of the supply. The price is like under mint on OpenSea. So they, I think they had a couple of decisions, right? They could either cut supply where they lean into their existing community, or they could you know, do what a lot of people were clamoring for them to do, which is do some kind of a refund, reduce the mint price, give a second NFT, something like that. I think Porsche took the classy move and they decided to close the mint. I think they closed it at just shy of 2,000, right around 2,000 NFTs. And they're going to build on with that community. And since then, the floor price has skyrocketed to, you know, like triple mint price. And I think the sentiment has really turned around that they're listening to their community. You know, it's never easy launching these programs, especially ones that have a lot of eyes on them. And I think they did the right thing. You know, they made a decision, it wasn't the right one. They pivoted quickly, they sort of owned that. And now they're going to lean into building. And if I were Porsche, I would just try to prove everyone wrong with just layering on value, these amazing experiences, give away a Porsche, like just make this so desirable and so luxury because they have invested, you know, they have internal people working on this, they have external partners working on this. They want to make it good and not back down. Cause I think backing down and kind of like admitting defeat is the reaction that we've seen a lot of brands take. So I admire Porsche for sticking with it, finding a way to pivot and be agile. I'm cheering for them. And I think the more brands who find ways to succeed in this space, the better. It's a great use case if they're able to make this a really positive experience for Porsche consumers. But yeah, very polarized.
0: They were catching a lot of heat, right? And so then they came out with this tweet that said, okay, we're going to shut off the mint. But then they didn't shut off the mint. So it took about five hours before their next tweet, which then said, oh, by the way, the mint's closing tomorrow. In that five hours, about a thousand more NFTs were minted because people started to see, oh, now we're going to go from 7,500 to a scarcity model where there only will be a couple thousand. And they were then catching a lot of flack for also sort of making the statement, but then not giving any detail. So in fact, when they said we're shutting down the mint, they didn't shut down the mint. People were still minting. And it turned out about 1,400 more NFTs were minted between the time where they made that tweet, clarified the tweet, and then actually shut down the mint. So I did a quick calculation, about $3.3 million in primary sales, not the worst. They don't take anything on the secondary. I've been watching this since we started the podcast. When we started, there had been about 1,100 ETH, again, that's about $1.8 million. So now it's $1,354. So they're in the 2 to $3 million just in secondary sales. But as you mentioned, when, literally when we started this podcast, the floor price was 1.9 Ethereum, about the equivalent of 2,800 bucks. Right now it's 3.29. So it's already gone past $5,000 or so just in the time that we've been having this conversation. It's the number one trending project on OpenSea. And so I'm starting to turn around and say, maybe this isn't terrible for the brand. I think where your instinct is, is probably where they're going to go, which is now we have a third of the people in the ecosystem that we thought we would. Let's make sure to reward them and make it super valuable for them. Yeah, I think it's the idea of listening and pivoting and being willing to do that so quickly is really the big lesson here.
2: Just to add a little bit of flavor, I think they did say when they were going to close them in, but only in their Discord, they didn't say it on Twitter. So I know there was a little bit of confusion. I don't think that was a mistake. I think they were trying to get a couple more mints under the belt because they are actually not taking a secondary royalty which having worked with plenty of fortune 500 brands myself, I believe it's a legal you know, requirement. So that's probably another reason Porsche was looking to get a couple more minutes in the door.
0: Absolutely. You know, with that said, I want to introduce our guest today, Sophie Kelly. She is the SVP of the Whiskey Portfolio at Diageo. And this is a woman who I have been tracking for many years. You, I think, have known her for quite a while. Thank you for helping to secure her on the show. I know you guys do some work together. But someone who I think just such a creative mind, such an innovative sort of way that she looks at marketing. And there's so many lessons I think we're going to get from Sophie. So right after the break, Sophie's going to come on and we're going to have an amazing conversation.
2: I can't wait to have Sophie join us. She is an absolute firecracker. So buckle up for an amazing episode. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer marketers, advertisers, brand leaders, creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more. Sophie, we are so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Sophie Kelly?
1: Yeah. Hi, guys. I run the Whiskey Portfolio at Diageo in North America. Fabulous group of brands from Johnny Walker to Crown to Bullet to Dickel to a whole load of single mold scotches within the portfolio like the fabulous Oban and Lagavulin. I have worked in the business for a while. I've done everything from media to planning to hardcore advertising to working in digital agencies and obviously landed at Diageo on the client side. I'm super curious. And, you know, as I like to say, I like to do things I don't know how to do and learn in my job. And I feel lucky that working in marketing, we're allowed to do that all the time.
0: Sophie. Before Avery asks the first question, how good are you at drinking?
1: I drink in moderation, Sam. And I like to drink high quality premium spirits.
0: Of course.
1: I do have a few favorites. (laughs) but Mostly I like to celebrate.
0: What's your favorite cocktail?
1: Oh, you know, it's really funny. I have several. Um, I'm an on the rocks drinker most of the time. But if I'm having a cocktail, it's going to be depending on the mood an old-fashioned, or a dirty martini?
0: I love an old-fashioned.
1: They're very good. They have to be made the right way though, right, Sam? Absolutely. And
2: Diageo's office has this incredible bar, which I have to say is one of the best perks of getting to work with them is they have this incredible bar situation. It's always fun. It's always happy hour working on the Diageo brands. So Sophie, you've had this like really, really impressive career and you've done all these different things, as you mentioned, from agency side to advertising to leading this portfolio of brands how did you become interested in this world of Web3? Because you're an executive who is thinking about this from a business standpoint, but you also have some personal experience and interest in the space. What piqued your interest?
1: Yeah. So truth be told, name will remain undisclosed, but a very, very dear friend of mine who has run tech businesses was talking to me about the communities he was engaging with and the art he was buying and Describing NFTs and different communities like Board Ape and what he was purchasing and the people he was meeting. And I started to just have a look at it and get really curious about what was going on here. I started to read about, you know, Web3 experiences, like real estate and mad things. And I thought, I really don't understand this. This is fascinating and feels incredibly disruptive and something that we need to know more about. I think what really got me going was when I started to think about the fact that these new communities were giving birth to new creators that we didn't know or we hadn't heard of, that these communities were a different profile of consumers. And then I sort of woke up one day because we had this challenge on our plate, which was we are and have the largest rare and collectible spirits in the business, and we're always talking about tapping into a luxury consumer. And I suddenly looked at what was going on in this space and I thought, this is a completely different high net worth consumer that we're not even talking to. This could be an enormous opportunity for our rare and collectible spirits. Imagine if we could just not go to market in the same way we had every other time our high releases and talk to an entirely new community. So it started with an obsession on about, is there a different business model that taps into a new luxury consumer? That's when I met Avery and Vayner3 and started talking to them about what I wanted to do, this huge ambitious thing. And they said, calm down, lady, there's a couple of things you need to learn. And I said, right. And then we went on a full kind of exploratory of how we can engage in this space, whether it be coming alongside and culturally collaborating with communities whether it be you know creating marketplaces to sell our rare and collectible spirits so it sort of started as a fascination then it grew into a real desire to understand it because i didn't then a massive realization that this is probably the biggest disruption we've seen and a huge growth of different communities and different kinds of consumers that we needed to understand and then getting to partner with Avery and Vayner on really building out what we've done over the last eight months. I think the fascinating thing about the space is, you know, we started talking about it internally and then we said we've got to get a like minded group of people to work together to really start to experiment. And As soon as I started talking about it, it was amazing to see how many people from different parts of the business were also incredibly curious about the space and wanted to join up and start experimenting. So it's been a lot of fun and a very fast eight months.
0: How much brands are not thinking about the Web3 audience through the lens of profiling and demographics? You know, we do it on media all the time. And we keep trying to sort of find this high net worth folk or people who are culturally engaged, whatever it may be, not recognizing that so many within the Web3 space are those people. You know, I keep thinking about how many like travel brands and the Airbnbs of the world are not thinking of the Web3 audience as a segment to target. But it sounds like you very early on got that. So was it just because you were spending time in communities that that insight popped into your head?
1: I think the insight of creating a marketplace for rare and collectible spirits popped into my head because of the notion of what was happening around the purchase of NFTs and and the communities and the value creation beyond the bottle that was occurring within the communities. Truth be told, when we did our Ghost and Rare, we were guided into what kind of elements we needed to have in that release in order to appeal. To the community, did we know that that was going to sell out within twelve minutes? No, you know. So once we put that out there, and we worked with tau who was an amazing AI creator in the communities, to give an expression of the product as well as a unique NFT, which was from Emma Walker, the distiller, describing the liquids. It became a campaign and an experience within itself beyond the bottle. And Hello sold out within 12 minutes. Off the back of that, we now discovered the power of the types of ways we can market our brand that goes beyond sending it to bricks and water and the same kind of channels that we've used for years. I mean, I think the fascinating part about the V Friends thing when we did the gift go and we became a part of that with Johnny Walker Blue is we did discover who the community was and the value of our product to them. And then they fed back and told us what else they wanted to see from us. So I don't think it's as simple as what we do in media, where we know who is the demographic and attitudinal profile of this community. I think what's magical about these communities is you have to add value with what you put into them in order to become a part of the community. And then they will feed back to you on what experiences and what value they would like to see from you. So Together, you are truly really collaborating and learning about who's in that community as you are doing something within that community, which I think is very different to being able to lean on data right? and say, oh, I know the zip code, I know the message, and I know I'm going to hit this person. It's much more of a collaborative, iterative process as to how you define who you're talking to and discover who they are and what experiences they want from you. I love how
2: you basically just described the web3 consumer and this journey that I think a lot of brands are beginning to navigate, right? Which is web3 is this next iteration of connected consumer behavior and, you know, the consumers of today and tomorrow want to be leaned into sort of co-creation. They like the spirit of decentralization. Their digital identity and digital self is starting to really matter, you know, on a slightly different note, How do you think that uh, Web3 can also enhance some of the events that you all do in real life? Because for listeners like Diageo has these incredible activations, whether we're talking about South by Southwest or Super Bowl or NBA All-Star Weekend, all these incredible places where you show up because again, you're celebrating. And what better way to celebrate than with a delicious spirit, with a delicious cocktail. And Diageo brands are you know, in close partnership with many of the major music and sporting and you know entertainment events in the world. How does Web3 fit into all of that, if at all?
1: Yeah, so I love this question because as I said, when you know you asked how did I become aware of this? Why did I get curious about it? I think what I'm so proud of is the variety of experiments that we have done across the brands and I'll talk about Thanksgiving first, right? Which is a massive moment for one of my brands, Crown. And uh, we worked together, Avery's team, and I worked together to develop a experience in Web3, which was all about... The brand is about generosity and paying it forward. And we basically released an experience with Salesforce behind it that was all about paying it forward. So if I... Thought that Sam was an incredibly generous giving person. I could award him a crown and pay it forward for his generosity. Now, that was an amazing experience that was tapped onto to an existing kind of campaign, a cultural moment that the brand turns up in on purpose for the brand. And it was also interesting because we brought in people who were in Web3 and people who were outside Web3, right? So we we're merging audiences there. The other one that I want to talk about is in order, December, right? Art Basel right we went down there i thought this was awesome so rather than our previous work where we had like used gift goats we've gone into an existing web3 community this is an example of where we're combining communities okay so we're taking vandy the Pink, who is all about fashion his fashion icon and bringing him into the web3 world creating an experience around the johnny walker bottle and then you know kind of finalizing that experience in a live event. So what happened was we started the campaign by saying, Vandy the Pink is going to create designs for the Johnny Walker Blue Bottle. Hey, world, vote on your favorite designs. Then we got a whole lot of designs. Then we ended up landing at at Art Basel and crowdsourcing the best design. And then that design gets landed on the bottle. What I love about that is we're turning up at a cultural moment that we've always turned up on We're creating a live event, but that live event is a combination of sort of using gaming and promotional techniques in Web3 to bring different communities together to create a physical product and a physical experience. Loved that. Equally, we turn up with, you know, World of Women and we just help them bring their community together in a live event and enhance that event into an experience with them. So, you know, there it's a very partnership-driven kind of interaction to help them bring their community together in a meaningful way. So, you know, there's a huge opportunity, I think, to bring the world of Web3 together with live cultural moments that are happening out there and create unique experiences that bring different communities together. And I think at Basel, it's probably one of my favorite examples of that. And then we're going to try and watch this space do that again for, for Super Bowl. So, <laughs> But not giving that one away right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to make news right now. Okay, we get it. So Sophie, I remember one of our first episodes, we were with Matt Kalish from DraftKings and thinking about how much it was a native psychographic connection between, say, fantasy football and the NFT collection space and how that reimagined their business in a way that felt very native. And what feels like for what you guys are working on with Diageo is two things. One is I think you have an audience that's willing to sort of pay to collect and own beautiful things, which I think is very close to the ethos, especially around the digital art revolution on blockchain. But then secondly, a lot of, you know, I think about the person who goes in and they only drink bullet and, you know, there's so much badge value of being aligned to a brand that way, which I think also is really valuable in this space because people, whether it's through co or other communities that they get to put a PFP that says a World of Women, it's saying something about them to other people. And so what I'm hearing, and I guess wanna know if you validate or disagree with the premise is Web3 works better when it also aligns with your business goals and when it aligns with your audience's way that they see themselves. Would you agree with that?
1: Yep, totally. Totally. It has to align with your business goals, which is why I think what we're doing with Blockbar and thinking about the rare and collectible products and releases that we have within our portfolio and how we drop them in a way that creates connection with creators in communities, different communities, and brings the Web3 audience into understanding the experiences we can have. I think is a really big business opportunity for us. And it's already proved to be. I remember when we did the Ghost and Rare release, I was getting on a plane. I think Avery was with me from Code to New York. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get one of those, you know, I'll get it when I get off the plane. And I got off the plane and I got my text message and my team were like sold out in 12 minutes. That does not happen in normal channels for luxury brand releases, you know? So to me, that is a business model that needs to be developed. I think, let me take it to the other part, which is what's good marketing? Good marketing is riding alongside culture and being relevant with culture. And if you are not thinking consistently about the new areas of energy in culture and working out how you can play a value role in those areas, then you're not in marketing. You know, because marketing is primarily using your creativity to create incremental value that the same actions cannot obtain, right? So incremental value is getting to know new creators, getting them to create and become part of your brand. I mean, it's about creating salience in culture for your brands. So, you know, there's a hardcore business value part of it. And there's a cultural value part of it that I think you cannot miss.
2: You know, people often say to me like, oh, you work with a lot of web two brands. And, you know, I remind them that brands like Johnny Walker were founded in 1820. Yes. (laughs) Johnny Walker has remained relevant because it's remained connected to culture. It's always progressing. Keep walking. Johnny Walker has existed well before web two, web one, web zero. And I think that the marketing of the brand has continued to build upon that equity and you know, to your point, so it's all about that cultural relevance while, of course, driving the reality of business objectives as well. It sounds like from your perspective, you're thinking about this in kind of like two axes. It's a way for cultural connection, which is critical for sort of brand growth and brand storytelling. And you're also seeing the very rare, real opportunity when you look at things like authentication and you look at you know digital-first consumers who their digital-first reality might be more important to them which we know is increasingly important for younger generations as they, you know, spend more and more time online, which I think is a really smart way to be thinking about it. And for listeners who aren't as familiar with the spirit space, can you share a little bit of like the gray market activity that actually happens all the time in high-end, you know, spirits and collectibles? Like sour grapes is a great example, but there's so much of this that happens. Like people are really seeking out these rare bottles. It's very hard to get them actually. Gary's dad is always trying to get special bottles from you guys because
1: it's hard to get them access is a challenge. I love this point because if you go back to the block bar example of releasing kind of ghost and rare, normally what happens is, well, let me take a different product, right? We used to do this limited time offer on Crown Royal called salted caramel, right? We release it, we'd call it our Christmas surprise for consumers and it would just fly off the shelf. No one could get enough of it. And then it would pop up on eBay at like seven times the price. We just keep going. And then people would be buying it and then they'd be reselling it. And you know what, the people who created it, the creators involved in it, and including us, would not take part in the profits that were going on in that secondary market. Now what we've got with Blockbar is the ability to ensure that when the sale goes through, the creators who have helped create the experience around it, which is value beyond the product, are getting their fair share of that profit. In addition to that, when it gets resold, we can track it and we can understand where and how. So the people involved in creating the experience, again, are getting rewarded for the value and the consistent value of that experience that's being offered. So you know, in some ways, it's a much fairer model. And also, I'd say your tracking is more accurate because you know this is the product where it's been, where it's gone and what it's been doing. So a lot of benefits to that model when you're dealing with luxury items or even just novelty items. I mean, salted caramel is amazing. It's a premium spirit, but, you know, it's not the sort of thousands of dollars King George V release. The notion of collectibles and, you know, rare experiences and value beyond physical things, I think is fascinating in this space.
0: Sophia, I've been hearing about you since you were at Strawberry Frog. I had a lot of friends at Barbarian when you were there and now you're at Diageo, there seems to be a culture of creativity and innovation in how you look at the world and your practice. And it feels like you're seeing something in Web3. What is it that's feeling exciting to you? And what would you say to, you know, someone else to bring them along on this journey about why they should be experimenting in this space?
1: thank you for that. Barbarium was one of the most fun, most informative, most educating experiences I had. And I met lots of friends, including Gary along that journey. What excites me is the rules of engagement, the different creators and communities and the use of technology to facilitate value in a space that. It's clearly not just creativity for the sake of creativity. It's giving birth to purpose. It's giving birth to new business models, and it's giving birth to different type of experiences. So that really excites me. The other part that excites me is that I don't understand it, and therefore it is a bed for experimentation. I think that whenever you have something that is disruptive, that is forming, that it won't look the same as it does today it will look different in a couple of years but if you are a part of experimentation in the beginning then you stand a chance to really be one of the leaders in the area as it normalizes for people you know and i think that is the heart of what good marketing is about you know you need your precision marketing you need your foundational work you need the things you can bet on, and then you need your areas that you're playing impossibility to create incremental value that you didn't believe was there in the beginning. You know, the other thing that gives me energy is I don't like to do the same thing over and over again. In fact, it doesn't bring out the best in my personality. And I'm not particularly one for processes. I get all my energy when I'm kind of dreaming about creating things that surprise people, that entertain people and that make people curious. So this space does that. It also terrifies me sometimes and makes me feel a little stupid. And I think sometimes the greatest creativity or breakthroughs come from when you feel vulnerable and a little bit stupid and you're just trying to work it out.
2: Sophie, you're far too modest. You've been a brilliant marketer for many, many years. And I think you've been on the tip of like what's new and what's next so many different times. So what would be your advice for a marketer who you know might not have the boldness of Sophie Kelly, but is curious, wants to learn what's happening here. What would be your guidance if they are you know curious if they should look into this Web3 thing?
1: Yeah. So I would say that you need to start from the point that you're curious about it, but that you don't understand it and you're going to learn and that's okay. You need to start talking to people within your company and develop people who have real energy for it and get a group of people around you and sort of... Turn them into your little Web3 sprint team, right? Because you'll work it out when you surround yourself with other people who are really curious about it. And, you know, Avery knows this firsthand. That's what we did at Diageo. And we have people on this sprint team from, you know, supply, innovation, brand, technology. So it's a real mix finance, legal, and then find a partner like a Vayner to help guide you and educate you and lead you through the experiences. The other thing I'd say is that this shouldn't feel divorced from the brand agenda, okay? So you know, if I look at our first entry into it, I remember thinking, oh, how am I going to write a brief on this for Johnny Walker? I've got no idea. I really don't have any idea how to write this brief. (laughs) I just don't know what the insight is. I don't know the community. I don't know the consumer. I said to and Gary okay, here's what's important for Johnny Walker right now. We are highly gifted and I'd like to understand what it looks like for us to play alongside a community as a brand that loves to gift, right? It was this really simple statement, which then led to the cultural collaboration with GiftGo and those token holders, which we will continue to have a relationship with. So, you know, what is your brand about, its purpose, and what role does it play? And what role do you want it to play within communities? And then hand that over and be super open to the creation of what kind of experience the consumer wants to have and the communities within WebTree want to have. Then I would say, think about you know, briefing from a business perspective. I think Sam or Avery, you said it to me before, how does this make sense for business? So so often we go in with a predetermined brief, like here's our consumer, here's our insight. And here is what this work needs to do, da-da-da, right? No. It's like, here are my business issues. Here's what I want the brand to stand for. Who do you think we should be engaging in and what experience can we get? And be open to what comes back to you. I think the magic of it is the two-way collaboration you can have with the communities and therefore the different type of experience you can create that you can't see right now because you're not deep in the community or some marketers probably are deeper than I am. But, you know, so I'd say know your brand, know your brand purpose, know the role of your brand and how you want it to play and then hand it over and be open to the experiences and the communities that are suggested to you.
0: You've talked about, and we all have our love for Avery and what Vayner is doing, which is fantastic. You've mentioned Salesforce as a partner. You mentioned Ivana Tau, World of Women. Is there some sort of, cultural alignment or DNA that you look for in your partners to sort of say, let's go on this journey together?
1: Criteria of partnership would be that the values of the community or the experiences they're looking for align with our brands. I think if you think about partners, you know, we work with Anomaly, we work with Vayner, we work with Salesforce, we work with influencers, we work with artists. And I think one key value that is Very relevant is collaboration. Okay. So, whilst we might get the thought of an idea, you know, which might be high concept from somebody, being open to collaborating with, you know, Vayner or Salesforce or Hunter, you know, on forming the experience is really important. So, gone are the days of sort of sitting there and saying this is my brief and this is my budget and this is what I'm giving you it really has become looking for people who have energy to create concepts and ideas that could live in this space that are open to collaborating with different kind of experts to craft that experience so it's relevant. I think you know you need to look at it as a learning if you're starting and I also think look at I mean, it just went through the other day, a complete list of things and articles that had come out on Web three. people like Nike, different companies doing amazing things. So many people, Gucci, look at other brands and what they're doing and try and dissect the elements that they're playing with and work out whether it's relevant for you. There are a lot of people experimenting and there are a lot of people way ahead of us and experimenting in different ways. So I think you know Gary said this it's like if you're not reading and learning then you've got no chance <laughs> so, and the other thing that i would say is also open a wallet start to look at the communities start to think about how you may engage in them you know opening a wallet and doing all that for me was a really terrifying experience it made me think about what is it going to take for people to really get into this space, you know, this should be so much more frictionless. And so if you actually get in there, even if it's a dollar or $5 or whatever you put it like and start to experiment yourself, your learning will accelerate. Or at least you'll know the questions to ask when you're doing something. I mean, I'll admit, I don't have the collection of other people. I'm a bit more of a, like, I'm reading and reading and reading and thinking about the imaginary list of things I'm buying. So I'd say get in there and just start to participate. Personally, amazing. Well, Sophie, thank you so much for
2: giving us your valuable and precious time. I think you left our listeners with a little bit of an alpha that something might be coming around the Super Bowl, which is, of course, the biggest advertising moment in the United States. And if I'm not wrong, it was recently publicly announced that this is Diageo's first Super Bowl
1: spot, given some recent changes in alcohol exclusivity. That's right. That's right. It will be the first time spirits are able to advertise. It's so weird talking about the fact that the industry is suddenly become obsessed with 60 and 30 second commercials and we're on a web3 call. Right? <laughs> it's like wow. It's both. It's not or it's and. Right. <laughs> Remember when they used to say it's like, you know, TV's dead, digital's here. I think, you know, emerging everything is really great. So, yes, we will be dropping that in a couple of weeks, couple of teasers coming through and we will have a web3 component to it. So, it'll be fun. Looking forward to it.
0: Sophie, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. We can't wait for folks to be able to listen to this and what's the best place for them to sort of follow you is it LinkedIn Twitter where do you want to be followed
1: oh you know where do I want to be followed I am on Twitter although I don't really do much and I am on LinkedIn although I don't really do that so we need to up your LinkedIn game I don't even think you've accepted my connection so we'll work on this later <laughs> maybe
0: we'll get her and be real
1: okay LinkedIn I commit to and I am on Twitter but more as a follower and a listener
0: amazing we'll put it in the show notes for everyone who does want to connect thank you again and Have a fantastic day.
1: Yeah, you too. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you so much, Sophie.
0: Mm -hmm. Avery, how good is Sophie Kelly?
2: Sophie is such a pleasure. She is a really innovative thinker, and I love her candor and her vulnerability and her leadership and how she's thinking about Web3 and, you know, both short, medium and long term objectives. She was such a fantastic guest and is a person I just deeply admire and adore.
0: Yeah, as someone who considers themselves on the older side of youth, I remember her and Barbarian being such pioneers on the innovation side of Web2, and they were really pushing the envelope so often on what they were building. So it's like a pleasure to see that she is bringing that same enthusiasm and same energy and the opportunity to develop in Web3 with equal sort of engagement, creativity, and innovation. It's really fascinating. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you, Avery, as always.
2: No, thank you, Sam. And, you know, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Let us know what you want to see next, what you want to hear about next. We are adding some more guests to Gen C and having so much fun with this podcast. So thank you guys for joining us and tuning in.
0: Absolutely. All right. We'll see you later.
1: Look around.